franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with a business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco and I am joined by my colleague Roxanne Rapsky. And we created this podcast to bring you uh, everything related to franchising and business ownership. And we really enjoy having a variety of guests. And today I would like to introduce Jesse Kaiser. Jesse is a multi-unit franchisee, and he's also the chair of the multi-unit franchise conference that's coming up in March. And he has just a lot of great insight to share with us. So uh, we welcome you today, Jesse. Thanks so much for taking time out to join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When we first met Jesse, we just were super intrigued by the variety of businesses that he's owned. And because of this experience, he is now heading up this conference. So we thought this was a great opportunity to hear from him about why multi-unit franchises. First of all, let's just start with your background and how you got into franchising in the first place. Sure. Uh, so early 2000s, I'm working for a dot-com startup, doing really well with that. Um, wanted to be an entrepreneur and owner, and I just didn't see a pathway having any kind of ownership in the company that I was working for. So I wanted to branch off and do my own thing. And the owners of the company were really supportive. Uh, they were really supportive for me not going into technology and going into food. So they're like, hey, you know what? You're, you're thinking about buying a local pizzeria. We think that's a terrible idea. You've got a lot of great skills, but running a business isn't one that you've ever tried. So you should get into a franchise. And I was like, well, what the heck's a franchise? <laughs> and they started listing off a bunch of names that I had grown up knowing. And I was like, oh, okay, so local people own those. And they're like, yeah, they'll teach you how to run a business. So instead of buying that local mom-pop pizzeria, we decided that we were going to go find a pizza franchise. And we stumbled across Little Caesars. And we opened our first location in March of 2005. So I've been in franchising since 2005. Wonderful. So in addition to Little Caesars, tell us more about how that evolved into other brands. Yeah. So we we built uh, five Little Caesars in the Southern Illinois, Western Kentucky market. Uh, would have added more, but uh, in our, yank, our young years, uh, we were busy building that net worth and that momentum. So we could only open and acquire so many stores at a certain amount of time. And at that time, Little Caesars as a brand was on fire and it was pretty easy for them to sell franchises. Everyone saw the the five and five dollar hot and ready success. And um, so very quickly, within a year or two, all the area around us that we hadn't already put money down on uh, were gobbled up by other franchisees Um, and kudos to little Caesars for doing that, but it made it so we couldn't really grow um, and add, acquire other sites one at a time like that at that age of our entrepreneurship. So we started looking at other brands, like what other things can we do? We were, we were still happy with the little Caesars. They were cash flowing, making great money, but we wanted to keep growing. 
And uh, so our first venture after Little Caesars, uh, or why we had Little Caesars, was Valpac. That's the blue envelope with all the local coupons and national coupons in it. So we opened up a dormant market, a market that had never been opened before, and ran that for several years, learned a lot, did well with it. And during that journey, we came across uh, Sport Club haircuts and OxyFresh carpet cleaning, and we became franchisees of those brands as well. Now, the, the Sport Clips, we, we're in uh, five different states here in the Midwest, and managing those are much different than managing a restaurant. You can manage uh, the salons much differently than food. Food, you really need to be in that location a couple times a week to make sure everything's clean, everyone's following the procedures the way they need to. You know, worst case scenario with sport clips is someone gets a bad haircut, which we hope that never happens. But when you're dealing with food, people can get sick and sometimes die. So you've got to take it much differently as far as your, your tenacity to follow up on the local store uh, procedures and, and how their operations are running. So you are, um, I think you divested of Little Caesars in 2021. Is that correct? Yeah, the, you know, right during the pandemic, the the brand was seeing a great uptick. It was a good opportunity for us to exit. We really liked the brand. Um, it was just an opportunity to take that money and roll it into another concept, and we did. We rolled into Ideal Image Medical Spas. Uh, it's not technically a franchise. It's more of a joint ventureship between the two. And the best way to describe that relationship, it's much like. Uh, you would see a, a agreements with uh, hotel brands, okay? So someone owns the physical uh, hotel, and those are their employees, but then they pay either the corporate or a management company to run the day-to-day -day operations. And so that management company would see profit from the top of the line and the bottom line of the P&L. And so it's very similar to that. And requires very little of your time. It's, 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 it's about as passive as could be. I mean, yeah. the only work that we have is dealing with payroll and benefits and things like that. So if you divested from Little Caesars, do you still own the Valpac and the Sport Clips? And tell Valpac, us about that. We, uh, we sunset that one in 2011 or 2012. Um, it just was a, a situation where uh, we got into the, the Sport Clips and I was really excited about it. And we cut that brand I think they only had like 720 locations open at the time. They've got 1,800 now. So we were still able to really cherry pick some A-plus locations in the Midwest. Um, so we really just focused on that. And and Valpac wasn't a passion of mine to grow um, as much as it was with the Little Caesars. So what do you still hold right now? Which companies? We still, yeah, we still have uh, Spore Clips, Ideal mm -hmm. Image, and OxyFresh Carpet Cleaning. Gotcha. I love the variety. I yeah. love the fact that some are brick and mortar, some, yeah. you know, the carpet cleaning, and then the Valpac was um, not brick and mortar. You were going out and providing a service. So you have so much perspective. And like you shared, the difference in a food franchise versus haircuts yeah. and kind of what's involved from the owner. I, I get asked that question a lot because there's lots of multi-unit, multi-brand franchisees. Uh, but they try to mostly stay in their lane. So, yeah. you know, you could have five different brands if you're in food. That's not too uncommon. Um, but to have five different brands in five different industries, that's a little bit more rare or unique. Uh, and I, I just tell people this. The fundamentals of running a business are all the same. What's important for you to be successful in a different industry than you're in right now is, and this is one of my criteria when I evaluate a new brand or a new industry to get into, do I understand who the ideal customer is? And do I understand who the ideal employee for that customer is? And if I understand really well those two things, 
chances are I could be pretty successful in it. But if you are struggling or wondering on which one of those two, uh, 100%, that's where a lot of doubt and poor judgment comes in. And, and you make hiring decisions that aren't the right ones, or you advertise and market to the wrong type of customer for that. Um, and then you don't get a good return on your marketing investment. So just really understanding those two critical points, I do, who's, who the ideal customer is and who the ideal employee is for that customer. And you could you could be pretty successful. I mean, payroll's payroll, property taxes and, and payroll taxes are the same. You're going to pay rent or you're going to pay, you know, you're going to pay royalties no matter what the brand is, if it's a franchise. So there's a lot of commonality in all the industries, but it's the customer and the employee that are unique in each industry. So now this rolls into your, you know, your experience and knowledge and I'll even say passion for multi-unit ownership, right? You've, you've made a living and a life out of multi-unit ownership. So now you're involved with the multi-unit franchise conference. So how did that all come about? And can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So 10 years ago, um, I'm in my kitchen and I'm going through all the mail and uh, I see uh, a brochure for this conference. And it's talking about uh, multi-unit, multi-brands, and that's where franchising is going. And uh, you know, get in there and and learn from the best, meet the best, uh, network, uh, walk away with a potential new idea for another brand to get into. It was just exciting to me. So I, I called my brother up, who's my partner, and said, "Hey, I don't know if you got one of these at your house, but I did. We're going to go to this." And <laughs> we went the first year. And at that point, we already had three brands. Uh, we did not have OxyFresh or we did not have Ideal Image, which, which we picked both of those brands up at the conference um, because they have a vendor area where all the franchisors come and you get to go there and you get to meet with. And because this is a very large conference, you're either meeting a founder, a CEO or the chief development offer at the very least, depending on the size of it. Um, so you're really getting to meet people that are fairly high up in the franchise's organization and, and seeing what their attitudes are, what their culture's like. Um, it really allows you to kind of pop and look underneath the hood, so to speak, of a brand. So um, you went to that conference, you picked up two more brands, and now mm-hmm. you... O- over the 10 years. Over not, the 10 years. Not right away, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now you're the chairman of the conference. So tell us how that evolved. Uh, well, I've, I've been... Uh, I've been honored to serve on their advisory board for the last seven or eight years. And uh, I'll just come clean. I think I'm the last man standing that hasn't been the chair yet. So <laughs> it was your uh, turn. <laughs> I think they felt like, well, we got to give it to Jesse. He's stuck around for a while. So, um, so what's but, the value uh, of the it, conference? It's, it's a huge honor. Awesome. Why would somebody come go to the conference? What would somebody gain? What kind of knowledge or information? Uh, why would somebody want to attend? Okay. So if you're a franchisee, you're going to fall into one of these three buckets. Okay. And all three of these buckets are very viable reasons why to come to this conference. The first one is uh, you're already in a brand, you already got multiple locations, and you're not really interested in another brand, but you want to keep growing the locations you have either through organic growth or acquisitions. And you want to learn how to do that better with less stress, uh, cheaper. This is a conference for you. Okay. Or if you're a situation like my brother and I, where you know, we had kind of built out our little Caesars market. There was no other place to squeeze one in. And so now it's time to get another brand. This is a great conference to go to because all the big brands that want to deal and appreciate multi-unit operators is here. Um, And then the third one is, you know, you really don't want to add any more locations. You're kind of at the point where you want to be. 
So you don't want any other brands, but you'd like to figure out how do you get out of the country for two or three weeks without the place burning down while you're gone. <laughs> and uh, that is also a very viable person that needs to come to this conference because there's a lot of hacks, business and life hacks that are taught, shared and disseminated uh, through either the keynote speakers, the panels, or just one-on-one interactions in the hallway and in the vendor area with other successful franchisees that are doing the exact same thing that I want to do. Like when I first went, I think I had maybe 10 locations of all the brands. Um, you know, I'm close to 50 now. Wow. And so I started asking questions to the guys that had and girls that had 50, 100 units. How did you get there? What did you do? Um, they were so willing to tell me everything everything. It was like, I almost felt bad because I really didn't have much to offer back uh, because their experience was just so much greater than mine back then. But now you're paying it back. Absolutely. And that's kind of the, the, that's kind of the neat thing about this, you know, really successful people, they like company. Yeah. Uh, so they want other people to be successful too. And so I think what's uh, really telling about this, it's a very vulnerable group. They're more likely to share with you their failures and their successes. Not that uh, they're going to hide their successes, but they just don't want you to go through the same pain and step yeah. on the same rakes that they went through. Um, and that I really appreciate because I hate rakes. I don't like <laughs> stepping on them. <laughs> Unless you're raking leaves, right? right? That's such the benefit of a franchise, though. I love that. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, helping each other, helping others avoid rakes and roadblocks. So it's such awesome. a community. Do you think now at this stage, being a veteran franchisee, that you look at assessing franchises differently than you did oh, yeah. in the I, very I beginning? Absolutely do. Tell I absolutely us about do. That. I, I could even tell you, I can give an example of. Uh, another metric that I picked up from the conference last year. So I, what I could tell you, I've always looked at. So we first talked about, does Jesse understand who the ideal customer and the ideal employee is, right? That's a given. Um, I've always had that philosophy ever since store one, okay? Um, but I've also also had this one financial philosophy that um, I'm looking at my wealth is in time and not money. So whether it's a $250,000 per location investment or a million dollar investment per location, how quick do I make my total investment back? So I'm looking at a sweet spot of around 36 months. Um, 40 is fine and 20 is even better, but 36 is a really sweet spot for me on that. So I've always looked at that too. What was a new calibration in my assessment of what brands I want to get into is what I learned at the conference last year at one of the panels. And these were some giants that were on the stage. Okay. And they were saying, when I look at a new brand, I want to know what the average sales volume is and the multiple that they're going for at this time. Is that more than what it costs to open? Because if I leave a brand, I want to make some money on the exit. Now I have always thought, Hey, if I own my little Caesars for you know, 19 years and they cash flow positive every year, and I make my money back in the first 36 months or so, uh, and then I cash out for that, I've made a lot of money. So whatever I sell it for is what I sell it for. Mm. Uh, but now I'm looking at it like, is this a brand that when I exit, I actually can make some money on the exit as well as I did during holding on to that asset. Excellent. Excellent advice. Um, one of the, I think, um, Sticking points for people when they look at franchising is the fees. You know, there's fees involved. You pay a franchise fee. Um, you've got, you know, some people just get lost in the fees so, and don't can't even focus on the earnings. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you pay royalties in every single one of these 
franchises that you're involved with, why, why do you pay royalties? Why would you want to pay royalties? Yeah. So let, let's, let's kind of break that down. I look at it as like three categories, right? You have your actual royalties and then you have some kind of an ad fund. That's pretty standard for all brands, yep. uh, all industries. And then um, I've got some industries where I pay a technology and a recruitment fee. Mm-hmm. And I've got other ones where I don't pay either one of those. Um, so the royalties here, here's what I will tell you. And I'll use little Caesars as an example. I was totally happy paying my royalties, um, because the buying power for my groceries was so much greater than what I was paying in royalties. So, and when you, when you look at a new franchise, you're and let's say it's 6%, that's what most of them are for me. Um, am I getting 6% value out of that? And if the answer is yes, that's, that's a smart easy decision to make every time. Sometimes uh, a brand can go through a hiccup or not be set up correctly where whatever they're charging for the royalties, you're not getting enough value. Or I, I, I will truthfully say I have had a few brands where I felt like what they were charging me wasn't enough um, because the value creation that they were giving me at that particular time. Now, mm. I wasn't going to them and saying, I want to pay you more. Uh, <laughs> it was more of like, I, I'm really happy with this value that I'm getting as a franchisee. Yeah. I think that is so overlooked what you referenced regarding the buying power. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when prospective franchisees are looking at the franchise disclosure document and seeing those fees as Roxanne referenced, they get hung up on it. Mm -hmm. A lot of fear sets in, but you recognizing and explaining how that is so offset by some of the other advantages and cost savings provided by the franchisor is really important for people to think oh, about. Oh, absolutely. You know, and if you're looking at, you know, like this is your first, your first business venture and you're like, you're giving up six, eight, 10% of your top line to the franchisor and royalties and ad, excuse me, ad fund. Um, you know, you're like, Hey, what's up? But here's what I'm going to tell you. If I were to open up my own independent pizza place, I'm going to be paying so much per more per pound on cheese than I did at Little Caesars. And yeah. you, so one way or another, you're going to get it. So what I'd rather have is have some collective buying power and a mastermind group to work behind than to be an independent, save my six to 10%, but pay more for everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you sell more, you're going to pay more. And, and it's inverse with the same thing with, with the, uh, the franchise fees. So, I mean, you're going to pay for it one way or other. I'd rather just have that, that companionship and collaboration that you get out of franchising. It's really going to be about the same cost of business. Very valid points. So what are some of the benefits of being a multi-unit franchisee? Why would somebody want to be like you and have four or five brands and 50 locations? What do you see as some of the advantages? You know, multi-unit just means that you have more than one location. It could still be within the same brand. And, you know, that question was very easy for me and my brother. There was two of us. There was two mortgages that need to be paid, uh, you know, things like that. So just typically in the franchise model, you know, one location does well uh, income wise. But if you've got more than one person living off that, you're going to have to open up multiple yeah. locations. Right. So for me, it was just to get back to the type of income I was making working for the technology.com company. Um, I needed to open up a couple locations. So we were from day one, we were set that we were going to have to have multiple locations. Um, now getting into multiple brands, that just became uh, an outgrowth of we need more opportunity. We couldn't grow with that brand in that particular area anymore. So we had to find something else. Now, 
I will make a counter argument that actually you're a much better entrepreneur if you're in multiple brands. Now, that doesn't mean that you should lose focus and be too diversified that you don't know what's going on in your business. But what I could tell you is when I got into when I started with Little Caesars, restaurants open very high and then they kind of crescent down once everyone's kind of done eating there three times a month. Right. And it levels out to something. Salons open up the opposite. Everyone likes to stay with the person that's always cut their hair and then they're slow to try a new place, right? So they look like this. You know, salons go up over time in volume and restaurants kind of go down a little bit and then plateau out. Well, the only difference between those two is the excitement and the frequency, right? You eat three times a day, you get a haircut maybe once a month. (laughs) If that. So, but what if, what if I... Overhired because you have to overhire for a grand opening in a restaurant. Not everyone's going to survive the first week. Uh, so you have to overhire. And what if you overtrain so everyone is really competent and getting, giving great customer service? And then you spent all that marketing that you would have spent in the first 90 days, but you did it in the first 30 days. Uh, what if you did that for a salon? And I started breaking all the grand opening records for sport clips. I think I owned seven of the 10 biggest grand openings ever for them. Wow. Um, and, and it's because I took my experience from running a restaurant and said, well, what if I just ran the the grand openings like I do the restaurant grand openings? And it, it's, it's worked really well for us. So every time I get into a new brand, I'm taking something from the new brand that I'm learning and I'm putting it back into the other brands, whether it's a marketing gimmick or an operation hack. And vice versa, I'm taking all the experience I've gotten from the restaurants and the salons and the carpet cleaning and moving it into the next one. Um, so I'm kind of uh, stacking my my um, my skills, you know, my capabilities. I like to stack them. Do you and your brother have? Kind of tell us what you, you and your brother do. Are you um, you've been in this partnership for a long time? Um, I'm wondering if you've ever stepped on each other's toes, or do you guys just stay in each other's stay in your own lane? How do you guys divide the work up? Well, it was really nice when we went from one location to two no, two locations, so we didn't have to see each other all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, we're brothers, and we, we he's my best friend. Um, get along great. In the beginning, we both tried doing everything. And so if I was really strong at operations, he he had to be really strong at operations. And if he was really good at back office stuff, boy, I better understand how to do the P&Ls too. Um, and if not, then you don't care or you don't, uh, you know, any, any kind of accusations or just thoughts or bad feelings. We realized fairly soon after a year or two of working together that we just had our own unique abilities and we started to kind of drift into our own lanes. And they complement each other so well that we really kind of stay in our own lanes now. Uh, and it's so easy when it's something I, I love it, too. I love to delegate. I'm the laziest, most ambitious person you'll ever meet. So anytime <laughs> it's something that's in his speciality, I am quick to forward that email over to him to take care of. Um, and vice versa, if there's an operational issue in, in one of the brands, uh, normally I'm quick to jump on that, too. So it, it's an easy shared workload, but it's definitely defined roles. Um but when I say define roles, it's just because it's organically worked that way. We've never had a meeting that said, you're responsible for this or you're responsible for that. And I can tell you everything that he does right now is something I did for the company at one point, probably in the very, very, very beginning. Um, and he's done everything that I've done in the business, too. So we have a lot of respect and mutual admiration for each other's strengths because, I mean, I can write a check and, and pay bills. 
I, I just, I'm never in a good mood when I do it. He's always in a good mood when he does it. And uh, so I'm really happy that he writes the checks and pays the bills. And I get to answer the phone calls for the employees calling in or, uh, you know, something's broken in the store and we got to get it fixed. I'm happy to take those calls. I hate writing checks. It just makes me angry writing money and seeing it leave. Uh, but, you know, he has a good measured understanding of the profit and loss of our company. And he's like, this is a bill I'm happy to pay. It's good because if I'm paying this much in this, it, like if I'm paying this much in Coke uh, to our Coke distributor, it means that we sold a lot of Coke and we're doing good. Yeah. So what a great way to think about it. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I do too. That's awesome. Well, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Jesse, how would they reach you? Uh, you know, online is best LinkedIn or, or Facebook, Jesse Kaiser, J E S S E Kaiser, K E Y S E R. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and I'm I'm always interested in meeting other entrepreneurs and particularly people that are in the franchising space. If somebody came to you as a budding entrepreneur and wanted a little piece of advice, what would you say to them? Well, first thing I would tell them is that uh, if you're going to keep a job, they realize that you're buying a hobby and hobbies normally lose money, not make money. So be real about this. If you want to become an entrepreneur, it's like uh, your Cortez and you must burn the boats behind you. That is my opinion <laughs> of it. Uh, I have I have friends that are successful entrepreneurs on their own and they, they hear franchising and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, I, I need to get one of these for my wife. And I go, hold on. Is she asking you about this? Oh, He's my like, goodness. We've had this conversation. <laughs> had this conversation. <laughs> well, I, I, I always say this. I said, do you love your wife? And he's like, yes. Do you want to stay married to her? Yes. Then don't buy her a franchise. Oh, my gosh. I let, could not let agree more. Let her come to you with, with a, yep. a, what she wants to do and support it. But this is not on auto cruise. It is a real business. In fact, I would argue um, that, you know, you've got to have more sophistication as an entrepreneur being in a franchise. Because here's the thing. Um, you've got to hold up a standard that someone else has decided. Now, agreed, you decided that you wanted that standard yeah. or you wouldn't have ended up with them. So, you know, there's mutual agreement there. But it, if you're your own independent owner, you can do whatever you want. And yeah. the, probably the, the tough thing that uh, is the reality of it is, is that if I owned my own little pizzeria, how the heck would I know if I've got a lot of good sales or if I'm running good food and paper? How would I know that compared to what? Compared right. to last week? Because what if there was a guy doing the exact same thing down the street from me, but he was shaving five points off his labor and giving great customer experience at the same time? You're not going to know that as an independent pizza place, but you'll know that as a franchise because you're going to be sharing best practices and your numbers with other franchisees doing the exact same thing you're doing. I love that. Uh, yes. So, and so looking in the mirror and being a better business person, you know, iron sharpens iron. And in franchising, it definitely sharpens. But outside of franchising, there's not as many opportunities to actually get apple to apple comparison with your business operations. Wow. Well, that's a great note to end on. Um, thanks for all of your knowledge and sharing it with us. And we hope you have a great conference in March. Yep. Give us those dates again. They're up on the screen. But yeah, March 19th through the 22nd in uh, Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. All right. Yep. And nice. uh, you can register or get uh, conference information at multiunitfranchiseconference.com. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jesse. We appreciate you, your time. Um, for those of you listening, thank you for listening in. 
Please follow Sarah and I on LinkedIn. We're very active there. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E, and Sarah with no H, Wasco, W-A-S-K-O-W. You can also find us on frannet.com and on our YouTube channel at Frannet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. And lastly, you can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur on any of the podcasting platforms. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.